Blog Talk Radio. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log, but when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right. You know I. And welcome, one and all, to the number nine, number ninth, rockin' episode of She Said, She Said's hashtag iCandy show, a very special feature in which we celebrate and honor internet movers and shakers who are ideal. And by that, I mean they are interesting, innovative, and iconic. They are incredible men and women, hence hashtag iCandy. I'm Lena Stagg, your co-host on She Said, She Said, and the author of the Recipe Records cookbook series, rock and roll cookbooks full of good food, good fun, and great rock and roll stories, facts, and trivia. And this is your official invitation to join me on my website, lenastagg.com, for a look at each of my four cookbooks, including the latest one, The Rolling Scones, Let's the bite together while you're there you can check out my two children's books and sign up for my blog with amazing rock and roll features and stories and this is the perfect time of year to get those gifts for the holidays again it's at lenastag.com Hey guys, I am Jude Sutherland Kessler, and I see that we have our special guest caller on the line waiting to speak with us. But before we get to our caller, I just wanted to let you know I am Lena's trusty sidekick on She Said, She Said. I'm the author of the John Lennon series. It is a highly researched and documented narrative history series that details the life of John and, of course, his mates, the Beatles, from 1940 until December of 1980. Now, four of the books are already in print. The latest one, which just came out in August, is Volume 4, Should Have Known Better, and it tells the hugely exciting story the big, really big story of the Fab Four in 1964. We go day by day and take you through this year in which they did A Hard Day's Night, the World Tour, the North American Tour, the U.K. Tour, made two LPs, Hard Day's Night, Beatles for Sale. It was an exciting trek. And you can order a signed, dated, and inscribed copy if you wish to have it inscribed at my website, which is johnlennonseries.com, where you will also be able to sign up for my monthly newsletter, which has lots of articles. We're getting ready to have a new newsletter, and we're going to have a really interesting article by a guest blogger on Charles O'Finley, who recruited the boys to come to Kansas City in 64. We have coupons and updates and all kinds of things, so be sure to sign up for the newsletter at johnlennonseries.com. Now, Lena and I are here um, about twice a month, and ordinarily we compare and contrast controversial topics from the Beatles world. But today we are taking a break from that format to showcase 
what I would consider to be one of the number one most outstanding people in the entire Beatles world. Yes, Jude is right. Absolutely. We are very, very honored to have on the show today with us one of the special guests from the White Album Conference that Jude and I attended last weekend at Monmouth University in Long Branch, New Jersey. Our guest today was the former head of the U.S. Division of Apple, and as such, he was a very, very close friend of all four Beatles. He's also the author of many books, not just books about the Beatles. He has written very many books, but three of them that he penned are about the Fab Four. The first one was the White Book, excellent. If you have not read this book, it is a classic about his association with the Beatles. It was followed by the Beatles, the Bible, and Bodega, and then just this week, I mean, you're getting in on the cutting edge here, hot off the press is his latest work, The Roof. And it's all about the Beatles' final concert. Now, several years ago, I was really honored to have him on my radio show when I had the old John Lennon hour. And it is a great pleasure to welcome our friend Ken Mansfield back with us today. So let me check and see. I see his number. So let's see if we can bring him in live. Ken, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. We are so honored to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on She Said, She Said. My pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It, it, I know that you're – go, Elena, go. Oh, I was just going to welcome Ken on as well. It is quite a pleasure. We were um, – it was, it was a great pleasure to meet you at the, concert, at the conference last week as well. And um, we're just very, very pleased that you could take the time out of your busy schedule to be here with us. Did you have something to say? Yeah, um, you Ken, you, you have to be—you have to be really excited because the new book is just out this week. That's got to be a yeah. big thrill. Yeah, this is a, is a it, special one for me. Uh, a really special book for me. It's different than the, the others, and so um, you're right. It's just out. We went to number one in the Beatle books on Amazon this week after two days. So uh, <laughs> that's always—that's always encouraging, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That is spectacular. Well, I'll just jump right into it here, Ken. We were thrilled to hear you speak at the conference last week, and we really enjoyed the the great story of your bringing Paul McCartney out to Los Angeles to surprise the salespeople at Capitol Records. It was very heartwarming. And I know we want to focus on your new book today, but Maybe briefly you could share that one story with us uh, because it, it sort of establishes your early link with the Beatles. Yeah, and I, sh- I share this in, in the book, too, because uh, it is all about the beginning of Apple Records and leading up to what a lot of us think is the climax, is the, uh, the day on the roof. But there's one thing that most people don't know about Apple and Capital's relationship is the fact that Capital distributed Apple because they assumed, because the Beatles were on Apple, that was just automatic that uh, Capital would have their distribution. But this was a label deal. This is this was more than an artist deal or a record deal. It was a complete 
I mean, it was a record deal, a label deal. So that put it in another category. And the Beatles owned Apple Records. So everybody wanted Apple. And we had to compete against RCA and Columbia and everybody else to get the rights to distribute the label. Now, we had two things going for us that was in our favor. And that was the fact that we had a very long established relationship with, with the band. And also, the one thing that nobody can compete with us on is if the Beatles signed Apple to Capital for distribution, we could allow the Beatles to be on Apple. Because if they went with somebody else, they would be, let's say, distributed by Columbia, but they would still be on Apple. So this just put everything in one place for them. And right. uh, Okay. So uh, at the time, I was director of independent labels. In Los Angeles, I just been I had also national promotion manager, and when the deal was signed, uh, it was automatically my involvement because I was the uh, director of independent labels. So now Apple was a label with us. So the minute we started putting this thing together, I was there. So we started off we, coincidentally when everything was signed, we had our national convention in. In Los Angeles, which meant every salesman, every promotion man, every executive, everybody with the Capitol Records nationwide was going to be in one place at one time. So we'd announced right. that uh, there was going to be a, a special guest this particular convention, but that's all we said. So sure. Stanley Gordico gets up on this stage, and everybody's in this big auditorium at the Century Plaza Hotel, and he says, we told you we have a big announcement, but... I thought I would let the president, one of the presidents of the company, give you the news himself. And I brought Paul down from the hotel room uh, at the Century Plaza, and we were in the back of the auditorium, and the room was completely dark, and Paul starts walking down the aisle towards the stage, and the lights came up just like in a movie drama, and the guys are turning around, and the guys and the ladies were turning around, and all of a sudden they realized who was there. The emotion in that room that day is something that you had to understand to experience it. Uh, when they saw who it was, not only was it a Beatle, and you don't realize this was, you know, when they were just at their absolute peak, to have a Beatle walking down the room amongst them. But there was something beyond yeah. that. This was a guy that had bought their, uh, their new homes, sent their kids to college, mm -hmm. got them a new car. Because they were on commission with Capitol Records, the salesman, and they got you know so much for every record they sold in the record stores and stuff. Well, the Beatles automatically, instead of getting, let's say, $100, this is an example, like $100 uh, for a month's worth of sales, they probably now got like $10,000 because they, the record yeah. sales were just so gigantic. Uh, and I think I told you guys uh, in New Jersey that we immediately had to scale down the commission uh, Deal at Capital because the guys were making more money than anybody was. But anyway, <laughs> Paul came. Paul came down that aisle and he's high fiving everybody and he's stopping and shaking hands and just smiling and people are just going nuts. I mean, it was beautiful. He got up on stage and then told them what was going to happen. And uh, you've been to some big concerts in your life, but I'll tell you, you'll never hear more applause and more yelling than you mm -hmm. did when he made that announcement. So. That was a real special, really special, special day for me. And what that time did, though, uh, and by the way, I only have a limited time, so cut me off or egg me on on something. But uh, 
that's when Paul and I really established a relationship because I'd worked with them two different times in 1955 and 66 on their tours. And this is a time that I was involved, you know, hanging out in the hotel room and, uh, you know, just while he was working on songs and just doing so much together. And we, we did became friends during that time. The thing was, right. I didn't know that they were looking for somebody to run the label in America. So this was also because Ron Cass, the president of Apple, was was with him, and uh, they were scoping me out. I had no idea. Mm. So I think my naive, naivete was good because I was just doing my job, you know. And so uh, they get back to London, and then the next thing I know, uh, Cass, president of Apple, called Stanley Gordico, president of Capital, and said that they wanted me to be their guy in America to run the label here. Oh, that's wow. fantastic. That's, that, that's really, man. that's great. What, well, what so sort of now if we go ahead, Lena, go ahead. Oh, I was just, well, I was just you, wondering like what, um, so you were with them from about 65 or 66 basically until about the time of the rooftop concert that sound about right? Well, I, I worked with them on their tour, so it was like um, just a simple thing. They would come in, and I would, you know, work with them on their tour on the West Coast. And uh, they we hit it off because uh, I was a young guy, 20, 20-something, mm-hmm. growing my hair long, had the suntan, had the Cadillac convertible uh, with a house up in the Hollywood Hills with a pool and all that. And I was really, to them, everything they had seen, Growing up in 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 England, they kind of all oh, the California thing, you know. So and everybody everybody else they had had been working with at that point was like a Lord of EMI, the Capitol uh, president president, and these mm-hmm. old guys in suits and stuff. And all of a sudden, here's mm-hmm. this young guy that was, you know, <laughs> they could identify with. And I'll tell you, everybody kind of cringes when I say this, but I didn't quite, I didn't get it about the Beatles at first. I just thought, another hot band, I'll work with them pretty soon. Maybe a few years, they'll be gone. We'll be on to somebody else. But my naivete, so I wasn't so knocked out being with them, it was just natural. You know, I I wasn't uncomfortable. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't doing all these things. I was just hanging and working with them. I was doing both things. And I think that's why... uh, you know, it, it worked out for when it came time to invite me to run the label uh, in America. And the thing they needed, they needed somebody that knew America, knew all about it. And I'd been a national post manager and artist relations, head of arts. You know, I knew the country. I knew the scene. So they needed somebody young and somebody mm-hmm. that, you know, knew that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so now it's it's 30 January 1969, and you've been with them for quite a while now. Yeah. And I know from what you told me last week at the conference that you kind of had an idea that something was going on, that something was happening up on the roof. But it's the 30th of January, and with Billy Preston, the Beatles are about to take to the rooftop in the heart of London for yeah. what yeah. seems like an impromptu concert. But I think you had an idea that it was going to happen. Tell us about that story. Yeah, it was it was impromptu, and it wasn't impromptu because uh, Mallard called me once <clears throat> um, before that, and they've been talking. They had to have footage for the Let It Be film, so – they tried planning all these different things, uh, you know, everything, the Coliseum to uh, Tunisia to uh, 
a little club in Germany just trying to do something, but they never came together, and they were running out of time. So I was just, I don't know, it was coincidence. I just happened to be working out of the offices that week in London. And uh, before that, though, Mal had called me and said, okay, we need footage. They want you and me to explore deserts. They want Mal said they want him to look at the Sahara Desert and wanted me to look at one of the American deserts. Now, this is going to get crazy, so hang on. But the whole idea was to pick a desert and then in the middle of that desert, have the Beatles set up and do a concert for the whole world, for every kid in the world. Everyone to come in the world, they could come out to that desert. And uh, I think I told you this before that well, there's this, besides being a crazy idea, just think about who would who would underwrite an event like that, you know, with all because half the kids would come back dead. But the main thing that killed that idea, okay, you know, porta potties. How are you going to get you know, ten thousand porta potties out on the Sahara Desert or someplace? Oh. But anyway, uh, so this was always kind of in the works, always in the works, but nothing, nobody could ever agree on it. And so I'm over there working, and uh, I wasn't even really thinking about that. But for a day or two before, there was like a bunch of hammering going on and and, uh, stuff kind of going on. But there's a five-story building, and I just figured they were remodeling somebody's office or had there was an old building, too. They had to fix. I don't know. I didn't think that much about it. And I'm uh, I'm sitting there using I think I was using George's office because he he was gone. Uh, to, well, anyway, he used to use our office in America. I use his in London. And uh, Mal came in and said, "Hey, we're going up on the roof." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "We're going up on the roof. We're going to get the footage." Well, I flew when I fly in from California. I wouldn't really worry about dressing warm, and this was January in London. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, I would I would get off the plane, I would be taken into a limo, I'd be taken to the hotel, and three, you know, 30 seconds into the hotel, and then back to the office. I was never really outside that much. I didn't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to look good. I didn't worry about being warm. I just wanted to look good. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, oh, we're going to the roof. Okay, top of a five-story building in downtown London, January 30. I mean, it was cold. And so... I just uh, boogied out the door, and Savile Row is a place of tailors and men's stores and stuff like that. I went to the first one, walked in the door, grabbed the first thing I could see, and just bought it and ran back in the building, and it happened to be a white top coat. I thought it was a top coat. It turned out to be a raincoat, which when I got up on the roof, it just froze, and it didn't keep yeah, me warm. Yeah. And I, could have, I could have taken it off and stood it in the corner, you know, because it was just so, – right. but anyway – I have the white coat, and everybody up there was naturally dressed in black or dark blue. And so it turned out great because I show up. You know, you can see me. I'm the guy in the white coat. Oh, yeah. It became my nickname after that. But mm-hmm. I forgot what the question was, you guys. <laughs> uh, well, no, well, anyway. you're, doing it. you're doing it. We're just telling us all about it and, you know, <laughs> what it was like yeah. and, you know, just reliving yeah. that afternoon. Yeah. It was so and, and you know, so you're up there and it's bitterly freezing cold, and then it just yeah. all starts to unfold. I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to interrupt you, but you could have hosed me down with ice water, and I wouldn't have left that that roof that day. I don't care how. Cold <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. But what what a completely opposite scene as as what you thought they were looking out looking at beforehand. You know, opposite of the desert. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, 
So you so you're up there, they're rocking away, and you yeah. said that when it was all over with, and y'all trailed back downstairs, there was a hush all over the office. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's been a lot of dissension going on around that time. Um, the Apple thing was really kind of a as exciting as it was, it was really a mess too because it was just so complicated. So many things happening, and the money's rolling out the door. And, and uh, you know, the guys were, you know, maybe not getting along the best they ever had <laughs> during the time. And uh, everything was just so disjointed then. And in fact, this I didn't know because uh, I'd stopped by one of the offices where they were getting together, ready to go up on the roof. And uh, I thought they were, they acted like they were nervous, like a band that was going out to do a show, like a young band or something. And I thought, gosh, they look kind of nervous, and they're like going over the set or something. But uh, I found out later that all this trepidation had to really do with just what was going on with them personally. And somebody told me later that when they got to the door, that it still wasn't for sure they were all going to walk out on the roof that day. And it was John finally just said, oh, come on, let's just do it. You know, let's go. He used right. a, a different, different, different words than that, but a little more colorful. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, you know, and it was really, from, if you ask most of us, which are only a few of us left, it was almost another day at the office. There was always something so exciting going on. It, it, nothing, could, hmm. everything was just, you know, a madhouse and just, I mean, it's the Beatles crying out loud. We didn't know if the Hells Angels were going to be in there, Hare Krishnas or, or some <laughs> famous actor, or, or you didn't know what was going to go on, you know. And so uh, it was another day at the office in a way. And some of the guys didn't even go up on the roof. They didn't, they, they didn't think that. Neil Aspinall went and had a, a tooth extract or something had a dental appointment decided yeah. to do a dental appointment and neil was never further than 10 feet away from the guys all the time him and Mal just you know took such care, care of the guys but anyway so we're up there mm-hmm. and uh, the guys come out <clears throat> and they start playing and all of a sudden and this is the thing that will never leave my memory or my mind or the emotion of it is all that was going down and all the problems between them paul either looked over at John or John looked over at Paul. I can't remember what, they just looked at each other and there was this look on their face and went, yeah, you know, this is us. This is, we've been together yeah. for a long time. We've been through a lot of stuff. We, and Ringo told me this once at dinner in LA, to the reason the Beatles were successful is we were a good band. He said, it's that simple. Right. Mm-hmm. And you could see them have the exchange. You know, this is who we are. We're just a great band. We're great, you know, we're great mates with each other. And no matter what's going down at this particular moment, this is what we're all about. And so if you listen to that or notice it, they looked like they were having a good time, and they were. They were they were just doing what they do, playing live, you know. Uh, it wasn't a real organized set or anything like that. It was just, man, it was just them. And when they left and went down and we followed them down, I didn't turn to Chris or Maureen or Yoko and say, gee, wow, wasn't that exciting? Or, or we weren't thinking, wow, this is the last time. They're going to break up now. This is a, Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow, this is really something. And we, we just walked down, and none of us, we felt something that happened, but we didn't know. It kind of, I think it kind of caught us by surprise. And so uh, we went down, and nobody talked about it. And I got on a plane the next morning and flew back to L.A. And, uh, mm-hmm. But there was something, we knew something had happened, you know. 
Right. Now, you know, to right. me, it's, uh, it's known as like one of the most historical moments in rock and roll. So. Right. It was wow. just it was just magical. Absolutely magical. It was. So, Ken, whenever you this is just something that that was seemed I kind of was curious to me, you know, when you began working for them, you weren't necessarily a fan of their music, yeah. but when, when you, when they ended their music career, were you a fan of their music? Um, I was more than that. I was involved. Um, I was involved in the whole thing. It was kind of beyond being a fan. It was like, being part of something that was really big, and I just had such a a great uh, – I was just fascinated with the whole thing the whole time. And, you know, they had levels of inner circles, and you – you I don't know which – how deep I was in, because, of course, Mal and Neil would have been in the four. That would have been the inner right. row circle. But uh, when you got into a certain position, they were very open with you, uh, very candid, mm-hmm. very caring, Um uh, they just uh, were so natural. It was like so easy to be with them. And uh, again, I'm forgetting what the question is, but uh, I, I never did become like a fan. I think later on, years later, I would maybe start turning that corner because I wasn't with them anymore. Well, I was with George and Ringo for, I represented Ringo in the 90s, you know, and George right. and Pat and, and my wife, and we were like good friends. George spent a long time in LA, but. Um, I don't know if I ever really just became. I guess I was felt like part of it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Have been asked that are. question. So <laughs> I don't. I've and never had somebody ask that question, so I haven't thought through it. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, you, what a. I mean, just a, a, a an incredible experience that you had, and and it is. It's really emotional. I actually saw a clip from the uh, Roof concert today by accident. And I, you could just feel the emotion of um, yeah. of the whole thing. It's just, it, it's palpable. But uh, this is such a great story, and we want to tell our listeners that you can read much greater detail, of course, in Ken's book, The Roof, The Beatles' Final Concert. And I'm sure there's amazing photos in it as well and a few yeah. other surprises. Uh, tell us, Ken, where the where people can uh, purchase a copy of it. Well, just Amazon.com is the obvious easy one. Uh, I've told the publisher I would rather people just go there than go to my website and things like that. But um, also, there are some great pictures in there. But there's more pictures if they want to go to FabWhiteBook.com. There's a whole bunch of more more personal pictures with me and the Beatles. In that in that book too, uh, just really some cool shots when we were having the meetings and stuff like that. So, and then this book is a I intended it to be personal. I wanted it to be a personal book. I wanted the hardcore Beatles fans who know everything about the lads to get the feeling of of just being there and and not the fact part, not the statistics, but the the other part. And then for the casual fans, just the people that just love the Beatles, I wanted them to see kind of how much there was to it all and to get mm-hmm. that feeling too, but also they're, to see that, so they could see they were beyond this band, that they were real people in, you know, there's real people and the real people in the Apple building, the guys that work in there, there's real people there, just 
Um, mm-hmm. so those of us that are still alive, we're just tied emotionally together for you know the rest of our lives. That's fantastic. Well, my copy is on my on the way to my house, but I just okay. realized I better better get a copy for my dad. My dad is going to love yeah, this. Yeah, get it for the, <laughs> so, for the old guy, you know. Well, the range yeah, now yeah. is nine to ninety. The, the young kids are fans of the Beatles, and now you know some of the, some of us are getting really old. So <laughs> it's a pretty broad <laughs> range of people. Well, <laughs> also Ken, Ken, why don't you um, let our listeners know where they can find you on social media as well? Facebook. I'm 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 a simple man, and all of them is just too complicated. So I you can find me on Facebook. Um, I have a website, but right now we're just redoing it, so it's just my books are on there, and I'll put more about okay. me back on the right now. So um, my website is right. uh, uh, mainmansfield.com. It's pretty easy, M-A-I-N mansfield.com. And, uh, well, we will. Uh, I know Facebook. people are going to want to go there, and they're going to want to order yeah. the book from Amazon. And as always, yeah. Ken, it is a joy to to talk with you, Lane, and I are really honored to have you on the program. And uh, uh, I've ordered the book as well. I can't wait to dive in and read it, <laughs> especially after hearing you speak at Monmouth University last week. So, everybody out there, get yourself an early Christmas gift. Order this wonderful yeah. first-hand account of what really happened on the roof. Look, it's not hearsay. It's not second-hand info. No. This is the real story from the real man yeah. who was right there front and center in that freezing yeah. white coat. <laughs> he yeah. saw it all. He heard it all. He did it all. So, <laughs> that's right. So thank you for being with us today. Oh, My my pleasure. And anytime. It's really nice meeting uh well, both of you there too. Um, last yes, week, yes, whatever it was. <laughs> yes, it was. It was a pleasure to meet you and your lovely wife. So share, uh, give her our best, and okay, um, we've enjoyed every moment and every word you had to share with us today, Ken. Thank, thank you, you again. You're very kind. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. And thank you to everybody for joining us today. We will be back in two weeks on Monday, December the 3rd, with Scott Fryman of Deconstructing the Beatles. Scott will be taking a look at the White Album and breaking down four of the best songs on the LP, one from each side. No one can reveal the intricacies of a Beatles song the way that Scott can. So believe me, this will be a real treat for all of us. Until then, Jude and I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and a joyous beginning to your holiday season. May you be blessed with family, friends, faith, and the food of, and food for thought, food for the soul, and food for the love of rock and roll. Ta-ra and shine on. You're not there Was I to blame For being unfair Oh, I can't sleep at night